Rise Up Podcast Community. Bit.ly slash Rise Up Pod Community. Overtime Heroics. Join the forums for free at OvertimeHeroics.com. It's episode 96 of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. And we're debuting a mailbag of sorts on the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Also, what's happening around Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio in terms of sports? Lots of stuff. Stick around. Episode 96 is live. Welcome to another installment of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Opening theme from Music Radio Creative. Visit theleewmallon.com slash podcast to listen on your favorite podcasting platform. Now for our host, Lee W. Mallon. Like I mentioned in the preview, we're debuting the mailbag. Will this segment have a different name in the future? Probably. But I couldn't think of any witty names off the top of my head. So, if you got any suggestions or clever ideas that tie into Cincinnati or Dayton sports, you can forward them at the usual address. And no, I know, this is not original in the slightest. I got this idea from Joey Bag of Donuts, one of my favorite podcasts out there. So let's dig into the mailbag for episode 96. We got three questions this week, and we'll start off from Twitter. Five Yard Rush, that is the number five Yard Rush from Overtime Heroics. They do a fantastic podcast as well. Check them out. The question is, do you think Ryan Finley will get a chance to compete for the starting job in 2019 at quarterback, or is he no threat to Dalton, and he's been brought in for the future and to do better than Jeff Driscoll? Now, I answered this one on Twitter. I wasn't sure if I was supposed to answer them, you know, as I get them, or just wait until I did the podcast. So this one I already answered. And what I answered back on the DM, I think unless Dalton gets hurt or plays extremely terribly, I mean, we're talking like Nathan Peterman levels of interceptions with Buffalo, I say no. I don't see Ryan Finley seeing the field in 2019, unless Dalton goes down with another injury or Dalton just stinks up the joint, which I don't see happening. I see him as a threat to Driscoll, even though I thought Driscoll did an okay job coming in for Andy Dalton. But I feel like Finley has a bright future with Cincinnati. Then again, I also said the same about A.J. McCarron, and look where he's at. He's no longer with the Bengals. Is he still with the Oakland Raiders? I'm not sure. I'm going to stick with that same answer, because I think Finley has a lot to learn about NFL level. I mean, some quarterbacks can succeed in college, and once you get to the pros, it's a different game, or vice versa. You could not have a noticeable college career and then light it up in the pros. 
But I think Finley's a good piece to bring in as quarterback. And I think that could be a very important cornerstone. And these next two seasons are going to really depend what Andy Dalton's future is in Cincinnati. So, I don't see Finley seeing the field in 2019 unless it's a dire situation. But... I feel like there's hope for him. So thank you again, 5-Yard Rush on Twitter for the question. And the next two are from Facebook and from Dayton Sports Talk host Mark Schlummer. He sent me two once he saw that I was opening up a mailbag, which again, I'm not sure what the name of it will be next week for episode 97. First one that Mark sends, Why can't hockey and soccer... He uses the term kickball, but uh, it's soccer, or football, rather. Work in Dayton at the pro level. Well, I touched up about that in the early 90s episodes a couple weeks ago. Venues are definitely hurting any opportunities coming back into Dayton right now. You have to have a solid venue to have a solid minor league team. Ownership is a big piece of it. I mentioned Dayton Dynamo are no more. And I know when they were in the NPSL, David Satterwhite did a very nice job running that squad. And once he sold off the majority stake, it was kind of game over. So, an owner like David Satterwhite is definitely a big pieces of success. You want an owner that cares. You want an owner that loves the area they're in. You just you you're not gonna make a lot of money, if any, running a minor league team. You're gonna lose a little bit. It can work. It can work. You just need the perfect venue and the perfect ownership. And then you have to market, market, market it. Because of the fact that if you don't, then people are not going to find out about you. And it's not just social media, although that is a big help. You need to be able to be able to market to others that maybe don't have social media. Maybe they hate it. Marketing is a tricky thing. And I think if you market it right, you can bring in the butts and the seats. Second question from Mark Schlemmer. This one kind of wrapped my brain up a little bit more. Which school changes conferences first? Dayton or Wright State? That's a tough one. I'm still kind of racking my brain on that one. I thought about this one in the car coming back from work. I still don't know if I'm going to like the answer I'm giving out on the mailbag, but... So, a little backstory on both these schools in case you don't know. Wright State has been in the what's now known as the Horizon League since 1994. It was a mass exit from the Summit League to the then Midwestern Collegiate Conference. Along with Wright State, you had UIC, Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Wisconsin-Green Bay, Northern Illinois was there for a couple of years before jumping back into the MAC. It was at least five schools. I know I'm forgetting another one, but it's, it's not Cleveland State, is it? Might be Cleveland State. Youngstown State came in 2001, and Northern Kentucky came in a couple years back. IUPUI, what, two, three years now in the Horizon League? 
For UD, they have been in the Atlantic 10 since, I believe, 1995, maybe 1996, mid-90s. They were actually part of the uh, MCC for a little bit, left, what would it be, three years before Wright State entered. So no, there was no Wright State-Dayton conference games. I know, it'd be cool to see that too, but it's probably not happening. And they've been in the A-10 for a long time. The A-10's had a couple losses. They've lost Xavier a couple years back to the Big East 2.0. They lost Charlotte uh, back in 2013, I think. That was the last year they were in the A-10, maybe 2014 at that point. Also, a couple of additions. George Mason, VCU, also Davidson. So some good pieces in the Carolinas, Virginia area. I don't know. I don't know which one jumps ship first. If I had to guess, I feel like Wright State's looking at the future Horizon League baseball, and mm, the Horizon League needs to add teams to baseball, because right now six is the minimum you can have to get an automatic bid into the regionals of college baseball play. Softball's not a problem. There's only one school that doesn't have the sport. Baseball is. There are now four teams that don't. Cleveland State, Detroit Mercy, IUPUI, and Green Bay. I was going to say Loyola, but they're in the Missouri Valley. Does Wright State jump to the Missouri Valley just for baseball? No. I mean, Wright State would probably be a nice fit to the Missouri Valley the eastmost school but it's still a midwestern fit it's a little more travel but you know baseball is probably the top sport at Wright State with men's basketball coming in a close second and then men's soccer in a close third whereas at UD men's basketball is tops it's what gets the butts in the seats and UD arena good luck finding a ticket it's it's amazing how Flyer Faithful support their school. So I, I dig that a lot. Good sports at UD all around. It's These are two good mid-major schools. And I know I'm probably going to feel the flames and the fire from calling Dayton a mid-major, but it's not a Power 5 conference, the Atlantic 10. It's a solid conference, but... It's almost like the mid-step from mid-major to majors. But I don't know. You can't... You really don't hear upper major or upper mid-major or something like that. So, you get my point. Uh, I honestly think Wright State jumps first. Dayton wants to be... Or did want to go to the Big East when, you know, that big shuffle happened. But I think Xavier has a big say in it. And they say, no. Although, it's a shame that rivalry isn't continuing. Dayton hasn't won at Xavier in terms of men's basketball since 1981. It's been a while. And Dayton has held their own against the Musketeers at UD Arena. That series, man, that rivalry is great. Dayton-Xavier. It's a shame that's not continuing. I'm picking Wright State at this point. Is it going to happen? I don't know. I don't think it will in the absolute near future. Maybe down the road? Sure. 
with all the conference shuffling, I mean, anything's possible. But I pick Wright State to jump first over UD. Because I, like, I do like the A-10. I mean, travel is kind of, eh. I mean, you got St. Louis, which is about seven hours the other way, and the rest of the schools, your closest one, what would it be, George Mason? Fairfax, Virginia, George Washington in D.C., Davidson in Charlotte, North Carolina. The rest are kind of, you know, New York, Rhode Island. So, yeah, I'm guessing right state. That's my take on it. Again, thank you to Twitter user 5YardRush. Go check out their podcast. It is excellent. And also Mark Schlemmer co-host of Kinder and Schlemmer on 1410 ESPN Radio WING in Dayton, Ohio for those questions. So yeah, if you have a witty name for the mailbag, I'm all ears. Maybe I'll think of one later on, but we'll see. So, let's talk local Sunday sports. There's a lot of that going around, you know. So, hockey You know the NHL playoffs are still going on. You might know ECHL playoffs are still happening. But none of the local teams are participating anymore. The Blue Jackets fell to the Boston Bruins 4-2, who ended up winning against Carolina and the bunch of jerks 5-2. That's still my favorite thing. If I have any extra money, I'm buying a bunch of jerks shirt. (laughs) And the Cyclones, who... Remember, won the regular season in the ECHL. They fell to Toledo 4-1, to losing four straight and going 5-6 and six in the playoffs. Toledo and Cincinnati is a heck of a rivalry in the ECHL, but it doesn't beat Cincinnati-Dayton when the Bombers were here. But while I handled the Cyclones quite well, and what made the Cincinnati ECHL team so special was offense, and Toledo shut it down. So, congrats to the Walleye. They're moving on. I think they have Newfoundland and the... What are they? The Terriers? They're not the Huskies. No, the the Growlers. That's right. The Growlers. That's a pretty nice logo, though. But... Which series is more disappointing? Which series loss hurts the most? And I know if you favor one team over the other, you're going to go with that one team. But... In terms of what to expect... I'd have to say Cincinnati. I mean, think about it. You win the regular season quite handily. I mean, the other team was fairly close in getting it, but you had a really, really solid year. And then you bow out the second series of the playoffs. That's tough. I mean, the Blue Jackets, the sweep of Tampa Bay is special. And trust me, that what made me really follow the Blue Jackets through the playoffs because I you know what I'll I'll go ahead and say it I thought they had no shot but it turns out the lightning kind of um, crapped the bed as they might say on podcasts they might not say it on podcasts but I just did Blue Jackets got the last playoff spot I think the last game beating out Montreal but yeah I I feel like the Cincinnati one hurts the most for me. I mean, the Blue Jackets one was cool because they got to second round and played Boston pretty tough, but hey, 
you got stepping stones for the future. It'll be interesting to see what the Blue Jackets team looks like in 2019-2020. Yeah. Kind of, uh, kind of disappointing. Especially for the Cyclones, then. I mean... Mm. But walleye will continue to play on. That's a type of fish. And actually, what's really nice, I know it's not Sunday area, but Toledo hockey has really taken off since the walleye have emerged from the storm. In fact, if you want to go look at the old Toledo storm logo, it looks like someone did it in paintbrush, but there you go. The owners really have treated Toledo quite right. And I feel like that'll work in Dayton. But again, venue and ownership. Who's going to really, you know, do it type of thing. So we move from the ice rink to the pitch. It's soccer time. And in fact, the Cincinnati Dutch Lions, I believe, start their season tonight or tomorrow. And they have a battle with the West Virginia Alliance, which used to be the West Virginia Chaos. The Dayton Dutch Lions, their season opened the other day. And the Dutch Lions will continue in the Open Cup. They will play in the second round against USL side Pittsburgh Riverhounds at Highmark Stadium. Dutch Lions knocked off the Erie Commodores 2-1. to Tate Robertson in the 75th minute scored the game-winning goal for the Lions. Again, they'll be at Pittsburgh May 14th to continue Open Cup play. Open Cup is probably the biggest soccer tournament in the United States. In fact, it is. I don't know why I said it's probably. It is. When it starts off, you have your amateur sides, your younger kids' teams play, like MPSL and now USL League 2. They start off the Open Cup, and then the MLS sides don't really begin until your fourth round. Because Dayton won the Great Lakes Division, they got a chance to play in the Open Cup. That's why Dayton got to battle former conference foe of the Dynamo, the Erie Commodores. They tied it up in the 55th minute, but again, Tate Robertson scoring the game-winning goal in the 75th. So Open Cup play resumes on next week at the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. Very exciting to see, and I hope more people start to look at the Dutch Lions as a quality soccer team. Because Coach Dan Greist, his second year with DDLFC, I mean, he did a really good job last year. I mean, from a team that hasn't had a lot of playoff experience, he's done that Dutch Lions team right. He's taken what he's learned and built with the Dynamo, He's putting it in with the Dutch Lions. First home games won't be until next Saturday. And that'll be a doubleheader with the women and men starting at 4. So go out to West Carrollton's Dock Stadium and catch yourself some soccer. Cincinnati Dutch Lions will be at Northern Kentucky University. Apparently the Norse have redone their soccer field uh, in terms of the pitch. So it's going to be a good year for soccer. As we swap to the positive to the negatives, FC Cincinnati is now tied for last with New England. And now the Revolution have fired their skipper, if you will, as FC Cincinnati has fired Alan Koch. 
Johan Damitz is the interim manager, and I probably butchered that. Johan Damitz, the youngest coach in the MLS. He's the interim coach after Cock got fired. Now, Cock's story starts back in the USL side of FC Cincinnati, in year number two to be precise. Hired in February 2017 after John Harks gets the boot right before the club was supposed to go to Florida for preseason training. It was literally like the week before they were supposed to hop on the bus and go to the IMG Academy. Two USL seasons and 11 MOS games. I did like the Jeff Birding took the responsibility on his shoulders and said, it's on me, basically. So I do dig that from the general manager. And the reason for the firing wasn't necessarily the now over a month dry spell of scoring. The culture soured. And I know that's more, hey, yogurt, huh? No, but it was mentioned that it was mentioned that the culture kind of got away and people were just not listening to their head coach. So now Patrick Brennan of the Cincinnati Enquirer wrote an article about who should be the next manager of FC Cincinnati. And there are a couple intriguing names. If you follow Premier League soccer, you'll probably I'm sorry, Premier League football. You'll probably recognize two of these names. And if you're a longtime fan of FC Cincinnati, meaning you've been with the team forever, you'll recognize the second name I'm going to throw out. The big name is David Moyes. You might remember him from Manchester United, taking over for Sir Alex Ferguson, and not doing so hot with Manchester United, also with Everton, and possibly with Scotland's senior men's national team. That's not quite confirmed yet, but it's possible for Moyes. Now, why am I talking about a manager that's got Premier League experience? Why would you leave England for that? Well, his nephew is a member of the Northern Kentucky men's soccer team in Harvey Moyes, and Moyes does get a lot of playing time for NKU. I mean, you manage Cincinnati, you can go across the bridge, watch NKU play in the fall. I mean, that's pretty nice. The big question is, can FC Cincinnati afford Moyes' services? That's a big question with that and the next name, which I won't spoil for now. It's interesting. It's interesting. I mean, you got a wealth of knowledge from across the pond. You got quite the amount of knowledge with how England plays soccer. You can bring that over. Will that succeed with FC Cincinnati? I don't know. But that's an interesting name. And is Moyes going to stick around hoping that there's a Premier League job or maybe even a what is that, Champions League? That's not Champions League, is it? The second level, right underneath Premier League, because there's pro and relegation across the pond, which I don't know if we'll get anytime soon here in the States, but there you go. The second name is former Crystal Palace FC manager Alan Pardew. 
Now, this name's intriguing because Pardue was the manager of Crystal Palace when they had the friendly at Nippert Stadium. And I can't tell you how much Alan Pardue just really raved about Cincinnati's fan base, Cincinnati, Ohio. That'd be interesting. Again, is he affordable? Because he also has a lot of Premier League experience. Who's to say? It mentioned in the article, again, Patrick Brennan of the Cincy Inquirer. He might actually call FC Cincinnati to see if that job's available. So, Moyes might also say, hey, you know, it's it's a gig. It's a league gig in North America's top tier in soccer. So, who's to say that they won't take the job, you know, with maybe not the top offer they want. And Pardue, along with Moyes, decorated managers. They know their stuff. And bringing it over to Cincinnati, Ohio, it could work, it could not work. We'll see. Now, your domestic name, meaning a manager that has more experience in America with soccer, is Jason Kreis. I believe that's pronounced Kreis. He's currently the manager of United States U23 squad, which is your 23 and under squad, meaning if you're 24, you can't play. Does he want out of the USA job? Probably not. When you get to manage your country's team, even if you're thinking, oh, it's just a youth team, even if you're thinking that, you're still managing a team that's representing the United States. Does have one MLS Cup with Rael Salt Lake. It's not real. It's Rael. I knew that. Does have one MLS Cup and has experience with building these types of teams. And your current name, Johan Dammit, the interim skipper. He's the youngest manager in MLS by a little over four years, give or take, actually. No playing career to speak of and limited coaching experience. Limited coaching experience is more of a kind of a yellow light but we'll see what he's learned with FC Cincinnati. He's been here for, I think, at least two seasons now. The last goal FC Cincinnati scored, you'd have to turn the calendar back to April the 7th in that 1-1 draw with Sporting Kansas City at home. That's how long it's been. The nice thing is, the next three games, two of those are at home, including tomorrow's game, Saturday, Versus the Montreal Impact at 1. So, a new dawn is merging over FC Cincinnati. We'll see if the Lions carrying swords, or as some people call it, Gary, the lion with the sword, will emerge from the bottom of the standings. And now we talk about the Columbus Crew. Because there are two teams. I know Columbus is not in Cincinnati and Dayton. You don't have to call me stupid on that. But as I mentioned a couple times, I will talk Columbus Pro Sports, especially Blue Jackets, since you know we don't have an NHL team in Southwest Ohio. And the crew were the original MLS team back in 1996. And they're here. So take that pre-court. I mean, they're here. So a couple of interesting trades. 
The first time I saw this, I uh, <laughs> I wasn't too sure what to think about this because he's been kind of the cornerstone of that front line for the crew. Justin Miram, who you know as a player in, is it a Rocks national team? I think it's a Rocks national team. He is no longer a crew member. He is now with Atlanta United FC. And Atlanta sends general allocation money and a natural, as opposed to you just create one yourself, second round selection in the 2020 MLS Super Draft. And that's about 100000 in general allocation money. Then the next day, the crew turn around and pick up David Akam. And this one's very interesting because Akam was the one to score three goals. Was it against the crew or FC Cincinnati? He's a good player. He's got how many goals this year? Four goals, two assists, and eight matches. So not bad. In soccer, remember, you count a goal for two points and assist for one. So that's that's over a point per game. It's a very tiny sliver over a point per game, but you get my draft. So the trade from the Philadelphia Union, Akam is now with Columbus in exchange for 100000 in targeted allocation money, which is different. This is the money you can only spend in target. Anyway, no, 100000 in targeted allocation money, 400000 in general allocation money, meaning the 100000 from Atlanta probably just goes to the Union. And an international roster spot for the 2019 season. I'm going to admit this right now. I'm not 100% sure what the difference is between general and targeted allocation money. But going off the top of my head, general meaning you spend it on your team. Targeted, you can only spend it on like players or something. That's what I'm guessing. Merrim has zero goals, zero assists in nine matches with the crew. Now with Atlanta United FC. Akam has four goals to assist in eight matches for the Union. Solid pickup. And in fact, with that solid pickup, the crew happened to pick up their first win in some time. They defeated the LA Galaxy 3-1. Great match by the crew in Columbus. So congrats go out to the crew for the win. And Columbus is still above the playoff line in the MLS Eastern Division. And now we move off from the pitch to the green. This is a first on this podcast because yours truly does not really enjoy golf. I I know that's probably not a shock since I don't talk about it, but there is a reason to talk about golf this time round. The Wright State Raiders are your 2019 Horizon League golf winners, men's golf winners. Wright State does not have women's golf Women's golf winner for the HL is IUPUI. Why is this a big deal for Wright State? It's the first title since 2004. So, 16 years between the two HL titles. And that gives Wright State a trip to Pullman, Washington for the NCAA regional play. And we'll go over the seating of that. The Raiders are led by Austin Schoonmaker with an average of 73.6 throughout 33 rounds and a couple of those with 70 or lower in terms of shooting. The lower the score, the better in golf. I do understand that part. 
Negatives are good in golf. Pluses are not. I do understand that. Wright State as a golf program, you might recognize the name Frank Licklider, the native of Franklin, Ohio, and a decorated Raider golf member. You can see his picture up in the athletics office, and he's got the polo with the old Wright State Raider logo on it, which I always enjoy seeing. Your draw in Pullman, Washington for regional play. From top to bottom, you have Oklahoma, Georgia Tech, South Carolina, Texas A&M, UCLA, Brigham Young, Colorado State, Florida, Michigan State, Purdue, Kent State, Northern Colorado, the Raiders, and Iona. Very, very impressive. I am proud of those Raiders. The first title since 2004 for Wright State Horizon League title winners congrats go out to coach Arlinghouse and the Raider golf crew the full raid crew excuse me and now we move from golf to baseball and there's a lot to talk about we'll start off with the better with the Reds and what was up with that home San Francisco series You could have swept the series with the Giants, or at least taken three out of four. But twice you give up big leads. Mmm. It's harsh. But I think the Reds have turned a corner. The offense has definitely picked up. Excluding that no-hitter that Mike Fires of Oakland threw the other night. Along with that lighting delay. It's bees, now lights. Get it all through baseball. They took one out of three from the Athletics, avoided the sweep, and now on to Oracle... No. Yeah, it's Oracle Park, isn't it? It's no longer AT&T Park. I know that. Reds are starting to hit better. The pitching is superb. I mean, that's been the calling card of the Reds. I still worry about the bullpen overuse and also the... The little tiff between Rysel Iglesias and the manager, but apparently that's all cleared out in the air now, so that's fantastic. It's been better. Hitting's getting there. Still in last place. Still a long climb, and West Coast trips normally spell death for the Reds, but we'll see how it goes in San Fran. Now we move on to the Dayton Dragons. The Dragons are coming off a series win against the Clinton Lumber Kings, who had the fourth-best ERA in the Midwest League, and now facing the second-best ERA in the Midwest League in the Burlington Bees. In fact, Burlington won 7-0 last night and almost no-hit the Dragons, but it was shortstop Miguel Hernandez singling up the middle to break the no-hitter in the bottom of the ninth. Dragons overall, it's starting to get better. The hitting has been there for the most part. Pitching, it's a different story. It's almost like the opposite image of the Reds, where pitching has been better than the hitting. Hitting's been better. Especially that game where the Dragons won 5-4 over the Clinton Lumber Kings. All the runs in that game, that first game of the series on Monday, were scored via home run. And then Dayton gets shut out by the Lumber Kings, and then manages to score seven runs in the fifth 
to take the series away from Clinton, Iowa. As I mentioned on Twitter, Clinton Lumber Kings are probably my favorite name in all sports. It has to do with East Iowa's lumber practices. They've been known as the Lumber Kings since 1994 and mostly have taken their parents' names as clubs. Burlington on the other side, also an older team. They've been in the league since 1962. Clinton's been in there since 1956. Bees have a historic reference to Burlington, Iowa. Also one point known as the Burlington Babies back in the 1880s. Way back when. So with the Western Division, these are more your older teams that are coming in the 50s and 60s from the Triple I Conference. And they've been part of the Midwest League ever since. Bees, like I mentioned, second best ERA in the Midwest League and second place in the Western Division, which if the season were to end today, Burlington would get the wild card spot in the West, whereas Quad Cities, who has yet to play a home game at modern Woodman Park, they are currently in first place by, I think, two and a half games now because the series against Great Lakes won't be played at all. It's been tough for Quad Cities. They haven't been able to play in the home yard, and the last series against Lansing Lugnuts, they were in Iowa City. I mean, Modern Woodman Ballpark is beautiful, but it's right on top of Mississippi. So, yeah, it's nothing new. But with the amount of rain Iowa's getting, it's kind of devastating. So definitely hope the River Bandits can call home sooner than later. Anyway, back to the Dragons. Like I mentioned, hitting is there. Pitching is getting there. I have been impressed with a couple of the arms, although last night was was worrisome because John De Jesus, who picked up the first win of the year for the Dragons, if I remember right, he left the game in the top of the first, and I worry it's injury-related. I don't like seeing that. So definitely speedy recovery to De Jesus. But the Dragons have two more games tonight, tomorrow. Tomorrow's game will be on TV locally on 26 or 13. It's on Dayton CW. You can watch it there. Uh, Burlington Bees versus Dayton. Bees can win the series out today. And that will take care of Reds and Dragons baseball. As we move on to college baseball, the season is wrapping up. For Wright State, they are in first place in the Horizon League, which means we get to host the tournament. Yay. 16-8 and with two series yet to play, one at home against Northern Kentucky and one against Oakland, and apparently it will not be at Oakland University. If you've never been to Rochester Hills, Michigan, apparently the baseball and softball films are at the bottom of a hill, meaning that's where all the water goes when it rains, and apparently it's been rainy there. So, not ideal, but Wright State in Oakland should play at a nearby field. I wonder if Detroit Mercy still has their baseball field. They haven't played baseball since 2004, but I'm wondering if Wayne State, which is a D2 school in Detroit, if they have a baseball field that, you know, they might be able to use. We'll see. That's next week. This week, Northern Kentucky's in town. It's the team that has handed Wright State's only conference. Actually, scratch that. I forgot Milwaukee on the road. 
Norfolk, Kentucky handed Wright State their first conference series loss in some time. And the Norse did it quite well. A couple come from behind victories where NKU defeated Wright State twice. And now the Raiders get to host the Norse three times. Saturday will be Senior Day, uh, where at least 11 Raiders will be honored. Series starts tonight at 6. And Sunday, Mother's Day, which by the way, respect your mothers, Sunday will be at Fifth Third Field for Raider Day. Wright State will host Norfolk, Kentucky, where the Dragons play. It's free, but make sure you get a ticket because tickets are required for entry. Like I mentioned, Wright State and Norfolk, Kentucky, I think the best series in the Horizon League, bar none. Great rivalry between Cincinnati and Dayton, and not too far apart from each other. It is fantastic. So I'm looking forward to seeing this series and looking forward to coming back to Nishwood Stadium one more time in the regular season. Dayton on the other side, they are off this week entirely because of the fact that it's exams week at UD. So go get those exams, Flyers. UD is 15-6 and six in A-10 play, second place behind VCU by 0.8%. That is fantastic, considering that most of the A-10 picked Dayton to finish ninth, which would be underneath the cusp of making it to the A-10 tournament. Dayton has been... Very, very strong this year. Pitching has showed up. Hitting's there. We have two great Division One squads in Dayton, Ohio. And fans, I recommend that you show up and support them in their last home series. Raiders have their last home series this week. Flyers have their last next week. Next week's series starts Thursday at 3, Friday at 1, and I believe Senior Day will be that Saturday at noon. Come out to DPNL Stadium, free admission, Come out to support baseball. And we'll talk about Sinclair. They played their last ever series at Grady's Field at Athletes in Action in Xenia. The rumors are there's going to be a baseball field built near Sinclair, which will be outstanding. Also with softball, too. The Tartan Pride are 48-8 overall and 27-1 in Ohio Community College Athletic Conference play. I did not stutter that time. I know. That's uh, that's surprising. 27 wins against one loss. Wowza. This Tartan Pride team is great, and Coach Dineman has a strong squad. In case you're wondering about the other community colleges nearby, Edison is in second place at 15-9. Clark State, 12-14, tied for fourth. Edison is in second place behind St. Clair. I mentioned about Wright State hosting, possibly, the tournament. The Raiders have Norfolk, Kentucky, and at Oakland. Milwaukee's in second place. They have Oakland at home and then at Youngstown State. And UIC has Youngstown State at home this weekend and then traveling to Cincinnati to take on NKU. So we will see how that turns out. I'm personally hoping that we get to host a tournament because I'll be there for all the games. That's a lot of baseball, lots of announcing, but that's what I like, announcing. And then we'll touch on the Columbus Destroyers to close out episode 96. I thought this episode was going to go on for a very long time. It hasn't, so yay me. You can hear it, but I was patting myself on the shoulder. So there you go. So if you're wondering why I talk 
I haven't talked a lot about the Destroyers. It's mainly I forgot to in the last few episodes. I know, silly me. But I've been looking forward to seeing the Destroyer 0-2. The last game was at Atlantic City. And they're on the road again. I think Baltimore is this week at Baltimore in the Brigade. But first game, a little tough against Albany, the Empire. The game against the Atlantic City Blackjacks, I was pretty inspired by the score. Very close. Lost by seven points, which is a touchdown. Extra extra point. I was going to say extra field goal. That's not right. But you start off three games that away from Nationwide and then come back, I believe, next week. I, I listened to the first game during a Dragon's Rain delay. And like I mentioned, Albany just outplayed the Destroyers. I'm excited. I like to get some Destroyer gear. But we'll talk a little bit more as the season goes through. Again, they're playing at Nationwide Arena and they're on CD 102.5. If you like to listen online, you can do so. And also, I think they're... Is it on the CW Columbus? Or is it on... Like one of those point stations, like 13.5 or something like that. Check your local listings. It's all in the Columbus area, but you can listen online for Destroyers radio games. So there you go. You're welcome. Personally, I think the Arena Football League is on the road to recovery. I mean, can't be any worse than having just, what, four teams? I really feel like there needs to be more teams, especially out in the Midwest, because really it's Columbus, Ohio, and then Philadelphia. Then you get to Baltimore, Atlantic City, New Jersey, Albany, which I know is inland, but there you go. I think the AFL will make a recovery. It might not be for a couple more years, but we'll see. I hope so, because arena football's neat. I do like indoor football. I... I Loved calling it for two years with the Sharks of Dayton, but definitely talk about Destroyers more as this podcast rolls on. And I think that just about does it for episode 96 of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Again, thanks to Five Yard Rush on Twitter and Mark Schlemmer on Facebook for the first mailbag offerings. Hopefully we get a lot more. If you want to ask a question... About sports, you can DM me at the Lee W. Mallon or Gem on Queen Crown on Twitter. Or you can message the Facebook page, the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. But first, give it a like. That'd be nice. Thank you. And we'll talk to you again for episode 97. Hopefully it is in the middle of the week next week, like Wednesday. But... Episode 96 in the books. Talk to you again for episode 97. This is Lee W. Mallon signing off on the local Sunday Sports Podcast. Overtime Heroics. Join the forums for free at OvertimeHeroics.com. Rise Up Podcast Community. Bit.ly slash Rise Up Pod Community.
this has been another installment of the Gem on the Queen's Crown, the local Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast. Closing theme by James Anderson from FreePD.com. Follow the podcaster on Twitter at the Lee W Mowen, spelled T H E L E W M O W E N, and the podcast on Twitter at Gem on Queen Crown. Like the Facebook page, The Gem on the Queen's Crown. For every link and platform available to listen to the local Sunday Sports Podcast, please visit theleewmowen.com slash podcast. Would you like a question about sports answered on the podcast? Send a message on Twitter at either account or visit theleewmowen.com and click Contact Me and your question might be answered in a future episode. Thank you for listening and your support of this podcast.